Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, that was weak. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. I feel better now. So good to be here with you this morning to worship together, to sing his praises. What a great morning it's been already. We get to open God's word together now. And we're close to wrapping up our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're back in Matthew chapter 7 today. If you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, however you do that today, in Matthew 7. Where we know from last week, Jesus is beginning to wrap up this sermon. He's beginning to give us a call to action, some practical application about how to put into practice all that he's been teaching us all that he's been teaching his audience at the time and us now through his word. Of course, last week, if you were with us or you remember, we looked at the broad gate and the broad road versus the narrow gate and the narrow road, the small gate. And today Jesus builds on that instruction as you'll see as we get into it. As I was thinking about this passage, I was reminded, granted it's been a few years, but I was reminded of school particularly university, college. Some of you are are there now. Some of you are maybe looking forward to it, but most of us are looking back at school and university and college. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but there there was always a set of required courses you had to take for your degree, right? You remember this, right? There was required courses. But then as you got going, especially in third and fourth year sometimes, there were those things called electives. You remember electives? They, they weren't part of your program, but you had to take them just to fill up your, your course schedule and be a well-rounded student. And I remember first, at first, when I was faced with these electives, I was always looking for that interesting course or something that would interest me or maybe add to my education. And then I realized, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember having this thought, you know what, it's not really so important what I take it's more important who's teaching it. As you started to learn who the good professors were at the school and the good teachers, I didn't care what they were teaching. I just wanted to sit under their teaching because I enjoyed, it didn't matter what the subject was, they made it interesting and you learned things. Do you remember that? Do you remember having good teachers? Those teachers that made a difference in your life and impacted you, they influenced you in a positive way. I think we all had a mixture of of good and, we'll say, not so good teachers in our lives, right? But have you ever had a teacher who claimed to be a teacher but wasn't? An impersonator lying about who they were really. I don't know, maybe they forged their documents and somehow got hired. I don't think that's happened to any of us because it sounds more like the plot of maybe an interesting movie or something like that. Or maybe I just, maybe they're just so good at it we never noticed. But in our text today, Jesus is warning us to be careful who we allow to teach us when it comes to spiritual matters. See, we, we we learned last week about the invitation from Jesus to be saved, to receive the gift of salvation, to enter through the narrow gate, and then to walk on that narrow road, the road that requires care and attention 
and caution and work. And now Jesus is going to warn us about who we listen to, who to listen to in terms of knowing how to live the Christian life, how to find the narrow gate, and how to travel the narrow road. Now, I'm a little nervous this morning because I'm a pastor. And essentially today, we're going to talk about whether or not you should be listening to me. So, or anyone else like me. But it comes with the territory, I guess. Every pastor knows James 3, where it reminds us that not many should become teachers because we who teach will be judged more strictly. I knew what I was getting myself into, I guess. That said, let's dive into today's text. Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. This is what the word of the Lord says. This is what Jesus said. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is just as relevant today as when you spoke these words as when they were written down many years ago. Lord, thank you for what you have for us to learn from you today, and may we have ears to hear, and may your Holy Spirit work in a powerful way in us through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says, watch out, beware of false prophets. It's a warning. He's saying, beware, watch out. There will be false prophets. So be on your guard. We don't use the word prophet very often anymore. If we do, we're usually talking about someone who somehow knows the future or pretends to know the future. So it's important for us to understand what Jesus was talking about here when he talked about prophets and false prophets. So I looked it up. Unger's Bible Dictionary defines a prophet as one who is divinely inspired to communicate God's will to his people and to disclose the future to them. You catch all the words in there? One who is divinely inspired to communicate God's will to his people and to disclose the future to them. In essence, to his Jewish audience, if we want to sum up that statement, a prophet was one who spoke for God, one who spoke on behalf of God. So therefore, a false prophet was one who claimed to speak for God but was a liar. False prophets were pretenders, claiming to be something that they were not. Now you have to understand the Jews, Jesus' Jewish audience knew all about prophets and false prophets. This is not new territory for them. No one was scratching their head at the Sermon on the Mount going, what's he talking about, prophets up there? That's new. No, the Old Testament is filled with prophets. 
most of the Old Testament books are books of prophecy. So there's, they knew all about prophets and they also knew about false prophets because the Old Testament is also filled with warnings about false prophets. Just a couple to bring to your attention, but in Jeremiah, there's a lot of them. Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. Jeremiah 23, 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Just two quick examples, but if you want to look, type into your Bible app, false prophets, and it will come up with so many examples in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Hosea, Micah, all warnings about false prophets. So the Jesus' Jewish audience knew all about false prophets. False prophets were those who claimed to speak for God, whether through teaching of his word, through interpretation of the word of God, or through foretelling, prophesying or predicting future events. They claimed to speak for God, but in reality they did not. So why the warning? Why was Jesus warning his audience? Why did they need to watch out? Well, first of all, it's a warning because false prophets actually exist. They are out there. He's reminding his audience, this is not just something that happened many years ago in the history of, the, of Israel. There, he was telling them, there's false prophets today. You need to watch out for them. Secondly, though, Jesus is saying beware or be aware because they're hard to recognize, at least at first. See how he describes them in verse 15? Wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a common illustration. I think we still use it today sometimes to talk about someone who is pretending to be something they're not. They're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Someone pretending to be something they're not. But in this context, in this passage, and even to the Jews, there was something more than just a wolf pretending to be a sheep. William Barclay in his book on, on Matthew points out that shepherds of that day often wore sheepskin as their clothing. And many of the Old Testament prophets wore a hairy cloak or a sheepskin mantle that became almost the unofficial uniform of the prophet. So if someone walked into town wearing a sheepskin mantle, people would say, that's a prophet, or that might be a prophet. I wonder what they have to say to us. So Jesus is warning of those wearing the clothes of a prophet, pretending to be a prophet, or pretending to be a shepherd, when in fact, they are not. They're hard to recognize, but they're pretending. But thirdly, Jesus is warning them because false prophets were dangerous. Verse 15 again says, inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. This isn't just someone pretending to be a sheep or pretending to be a shepherd or a prophet. This is a ferocious individual. They are a threat 
to the sheep, right? The shepherd protects his flock. The shepherd would lay down his life, do anything he could to protect the flock. But the wolf, the wolf sees the flock as food. It's entirely the opposite. The wolf sees the flock as food. So Jesus is saying, watch out. These false prophets may seem harmless. They may even seem helpful. But they will destroy you. They will not lead people to the narrow gate or be helpful in knowing how to walk on the narrow road. But Jesus doesn't just warn his audience to be on their guard. That's just the first verse. He goes on to give them practical help in the form of another illustration. So he's been talking about wolves and sheep and shepherds and sheep and the flock. But now he gives another illustration so so they will know how to recognize these false prophets. And he says, it's by their fruit you will recognize them. See verse 16? He doesn't say by their words or by their clever speech. He says, by their fruit you will recognize them. This is a common analogy. Farmers know their bushes and their plants and their trees. I get it. But most of us, myself included, when I look at a tree or a, or a bush or something, I really don't know what that is until I see the fruit. And still that fruit appears on the tree. I remember growing up there was a, a neighbor who had um, some citrus trees in the backyard. And I knew they were citrus trees because they all had that kind of si- same shiny green leaf. You know what I'm talking about if you know anything about citrus trees. But I didn't know what kind of citrus they were until one day I was over and I noticed there's a yellow fruit on that tree. That's, that's a lemon. And there was an orange fruit on those ones. Those were orange trees. And, and there was a, some lime trees as well. You could tell what kind of tree it was by their fruit. It's an old saying, like root, like fruit. Like produces like. A tree can only produce its fruit. In Jesus' example here, he says, thorn bushes do not produce grapes and thistles don't produce figs. We know that. But Jesus is saying something interesting here. He's saying it's hard to tell sometimes. You might think, well, duh, of course thorn bushes don't produce grapes. But don't get ahead of yourself. William Barclay, again, who has just a wealth of information when it comes to what things were like in biblical times, says that there is a buckthorn plant. You can look it up. I checked out the pictures, and this is true. The berries resemble bunches of grapes. From a distance, it actually looks like a bunch of dark, bluey, purple grapes. But it's a thorn bush. They're not grapes. It just looks like it. And he also says that there is a certain thistle that produces a flower that looks like, you guessed it, it looks just like a fig, at least from a distance. A thistle flower that looks like a fig. So Jesus uses specific examples here because he wants us to understand looks can be deceiving. But the ultimate reality, as he goes on to say, is that good, healthy trees produce good, healthy fruit. Fruit that is good for you, that is nourishing, that is life-sustaining. But bad, unhealthy trees 
They produce bad, unhealthy fruit. Thorns and thistles are not good for you. They will hurt you. They will prick you. They will harm you. They will injure you. Now Jesus, as we continue in the text, finishes with this illustration with a very harsh statement and then a final instruction. Verse 19, trees that do not bear good fruit are good for nothing more than firewood, is essentially what he's saying. They'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's a dire warning that these false prophets will be judged severely by God. Have you ever tried to get rid of a thorn bush or a, a thorn tree? You ever had to cut one up and, and get rid of it? Do you know that it, no matter how many pieces you cut that branch of thorns into, it's still thorns. Every time you touch it or try and move it or you can cut it smaller and smaller and smaller, they're still thorns. The only way to destroy a thorn bush or a tree with thorns is to burn it. Throw it into the fire, it's consumed and those thorns that would normally prick you or turn into ash. It's the only way to destroy a thorn bush or a thorn tree. And then, of course, Jesus reiterates his earlier statement from verse 16 in verse 20. He says, false prophets are recognized by their fruit. So I think it's pretty clear what Jesus was telling his audience. These Jewish people who were familiar with the concept of false prophets needed to know how to recognize them. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe he was likely referring to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, as well as others who would come after them. We've already talked about this looking back at Matthew 5.20 and most of Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. They were practicing and teaching a false righteousness. They were leading the people astray. If you have any doubt about that, turn over with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 27. Jesus is very clear. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus was warning them about the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, but he's also warning of things to come in the future. In Mark 13, Mark 13, verse 22, Jesus is quite clear again when he says, oh, I'm in 14, let me turn back a page. 13, 22, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. This is a timely warning for the Jewish people. But what about us? What about today? I mean, we learned last week that we too are called to enter by the narrow gate. We're told instructed to walk the narrow road. 
How do we know who we're listening to? Because we need help, right? We need help to walk the narrow road. We need, unbelievers need help to find the narrow gate. Who do we listen to and how do we know if we're listening to the right people, the right prophets, or as we would probably refer to them today, the right pastors, the right preachers, the right teachers, the right ministry leaders, those who teach the Word of God. William Barclay, again, in his very helpful book, The Gospel of Matthew, says this, if the way is difficult and the gate is so narrow that it is hard to find, then we must be very careful to get ourselves teachers who will help us find it and not teachers who will lure us away from it. You see, there were, there were false prophets in the Old Testament. There were false prophets in the New Testament and Jesus warned of more to come. But I would say that they are still around today. And you need to get good at identifying them. As one commentator put it, we all need to be fruit inspectors. Now part of that testing is what they say. Looking at their words, does it align with scripture? Is it the word of God? Where's their doctrine at? Is it based on God's word? But in this passage here, according to Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, it's primarily their actions, the way they live, that is their fruit. We're instructed to observe how our spiritual leaders live, how our teachers live, how our pastors live. Does the way they live, does it line up with what they teach? You know the old saying, do they practice what they preach? Because remember, the false teacher does not seem false at first. They can say all the right things, they can even teach the word of God with great understanding and with great insight. But the Word of God says if the way they live, their fruit does not match up with what they teach, if they're bearing the wrong kind of fruit, it could be a false teacher. So beware. This is one of the dangers we have in, in our wonderful world of technology that we live in. We have access to online teaching. We could access it 24-7. We can listen to pastors and preachers and teachers and seminary professors all around the world from the comfort of our own homes and just watch them on the screen. And as good and as helpful and as thankful I am for that access that we have, it's very difficult to know how someone lives, how they act in day-to-day -day life, to know if it lines up with their teaching if you only see them on a screen once a week for an hour or so. You can't know someone you've only seen on YouTube. We, we've warned our kids about this for years, haven't we? Don't trust people you meet on the internet. You don't really know them. You might think you know them because you're familiar with their content and you've watched them over and over and over again, but you're fooling yourself because you have no idea what they are really like in real life, unless you've done your research. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying online church is bad or wrong or false. 
Not inherently. In fact, I'm glad if you're joining us online today that you're here and that you are taking advantage of this technology. I'm just saying there is a potential danger there. If that's all we watch, if that's all we fill ourselves with, you can't really know that preacher, that teacher, because you don't really know them. You need to be careful who you allow to guide you through this life, this narrow way. And Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. So what kind of fruit should we be looking for? Well, Jesus is pretty clear. A good tree produces good fruit. So what is good fruit? What should you be looking for as you learn to be a fruit inspector? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is probably a good place to start. The fruit analogy is carried on in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you can turn over there with me for a second. Familiar words, I'm sure, to many of you. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. As you look at that familiar list of spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the most important thing about that fruit is that it is not our natural, normal fruit, is it? No, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in us. It's not actually our fruit at all. It looks like our fruit because it comes from us, but it's the Holy Spirit working through us. This is good fruit. It's healthy fruit. It's edifying fruit. It's life-sustaining fruit. And it's for every Christian. This is not just for pastors and teachers. We should all have the fruit of the Spirit because the, fruit, the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. But it should be especially evident in our spiritual leaders. Do they act with love and out of love and joy and peace? Are they patient and kind? Do they show goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control? Or do their actions, how do they act? Do they display bad fruit? We looked at verse 22. Go back to verse 19 in Galatians 5. A few verses before the fruit of the Spirit, we see a partial list of bad fruit. Look what it says here in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not suggesting that pastors and teachers need to be perfect. Because none of us are. I know I'm not. Only Jesus himself was without sin. But the people you go to, the people you listen to for spiritual direction and advice as you walk the narrow road Here's the key. They need to be living by the Spirit. Living by the power of the Holy Spirit, not living according to their old sinful nature. 
That's the difference between these two kinds of fruit. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit and living by the Spirit. The fruit of our flesh or our human nature that comes from our sinful human nature. In Titus chapter 1, Paul gives a specific list of qualifications for elders, for pastors. Things that should be considered before they're even appointed to such a position. We're not going to go there right now and look at the whole list. Much of it lines up with what we just read in Galatians chapter 5. But one word that I constantly am reminded of when I think about this list, it starts with the word blameless. They should be blameless. When you look at them, they should be blameless. You should see nothing in their lives that would cause you to think, what are they doing? This is how we are to discern good leaders by inspecting their fruit. Now please, we have to be careful here not to be too or overly critical. I don't need any of you following me home today in your cars as I leave the parking lot, <laughs> peering in my windows to see how does Pastor Mark live. You know, I'm joking, but we need to find a balance. We need to make sure that we too are led by the Holy Spirit in how we examine the fruit of our leaders. But the key is, are they living in the Spirit and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? Or are they living according to their human sinful nature and exhibiting the fruit of the flesh? Or another way to put it is, are your spiritual leaders acting out of concern for you like a shepherd should? A concern for you in your walk on the narrow road? Or are they acting out of their own self-interest? What's in it for them? So finally, I just want to deal with one other thing here, and that is, what is the danger? Why does this matter so much? Jesus is very clear in his illustration why we need to get good at discerning who we listen to. False prophets, false teachers, false shepherds are harmful to the flock. Wolves have no interest in the well-being of the sheep. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Their intention is to harm them. Wolves eat sheep. It's what they do. They can't help themselves. Wolves don't hang out near the sheep pen because they think, hey, what a nice group of sheep. I'd like to be more like them. No, wolves hang out around sheep because they eat sheep. By the same way, following a false teacher will weaken your faith, will promote divisiveness, bitterness, and ungodliness in the church, in the body of Christ. One commentator mentioned this. He said, false prophets will eventually teach false doctrine. Maybe not at first, but eventually they'll teach false doctrine because they have to, just to justify their own existence and their own actions. So they'll teach false doctrine which will lead to a false righteousness, just like the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. They have this false sense of righteousness based on the way they'd taken the word of God and manipulated it and changed it and added to it for their own self-interest. 
Now, if you don't believe me that this, is that this is a challenge for today, and this might be painful for some of you if you've been close to one of these situations, so I'm not going to name any names, but you're going to think of your own illustration today. I want you to think for a moment of a pastor or a spiritual leader, a ministry leader, who you loved and respected or you listened to and you thought they were the real deal. And then it was discovered they were living a lie, preaching one thing and yet living entirely different. I'm sure you can think of them. They always make the news. Unfortunately, too, this scenario is all too common. I wish we would have trouble thinking of someone like that. But I imagine you can all think of someone. Now, I want you to think for a moment of the harm that was done in that situation. Let me help you. Think of the harm that was done in the eyes of the world. Non-believers, everyday people reading the news and going, there goes another one. See, I told you that Christianity was all a farce. They don't really practice what they preach. They're all hypocrites. And they, based on that one individual that they hear about, they paint all of Christianity with the same brush. The harm that is done in the eyes of the world. Think of the people who were maybe getting close to entering that narrow gate, to receiving a gift of salvation, and that fall of a leader caused them to turn away and go, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Harm was done. But not just in the eyes of the world, Think about that individual's church or their ministry, those that they had influence over. Think of those who left the church. Think of the churches that dissolved, that ceased to exist because people walked away and said, I cannot follow that anymore. It's false. Think of the people that turned away from that church and said, that's it. I'm never going to have anything to do with any other church ever in my life. Now I realize some of that's on them. But the harm that was done, that is done to the church by false teachers is tremendous. But it goes deeper than that. Think about their families. Think about their children, their close ministry associates, those they worked with every day, those that, they, that trusted them, looked up to them and believed in them and the disillusionment they felt as they saw that this person was not who they said they were. All because they did not practice what they preached. Now the question comes up, is this, is this intentional or is it unintentional? Do all false prophets mean to mislead the flock? Do they, do they set out to be false prophets? I'm sure there's false teachers out there who are deliberately manipulating and duping their congregations for their own selfish interests. I'm sure they exist. But I also believe there are those who did not set out to do any harm. They didn't, that wasn't their intention. But by not living by the Spirit, by not giving in, or sorry, by giving in to the will of their selfish human nature, they end up not living what they teach. 
And both types, intentional and unintentional teachers, preachers, pastors, leaders, they do great harm. They can't not do great harm. Wolves eat sheep. It's what they do. That's why we need to be careful. We need to beware, Jesus says. We need to be discerning and cautious about who you listen to, who you allow to have influence over you in spiritual matters. We need to first of all look at Jesus first and foremost. Look at the word of God first and foremost. And then we need teachers and preachers who will help the unbeliever find the narrow gate and help all of us walk that narrow road. And Jesus is very clear. He says, it's by their fruit you will recognize them. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that the word of God is relevant today, just as relevant today as it ever has been. And Lord, as we deal with this very difficult subject today of of being discerning and knowing who we should listen to, Lord, I, I, I want to pray first and foremost for myself and for all the pastors and leaders of this church and, and those of all the evangelical churches around the world, Lord, that you would keep us living by the Spirit, that you would protect us from the tendency to follow our, our human nature, to give in to the temptation that comes our way. Lord, protect us and strengthen us so that we would never bring harm to your flock, Lord Jesus. And then, Lord, for all of us, may we be discerning. May we be discerning sheep that we would know for sure that our shepherds are men of God, our followers of Christ Jesus, with only the interest, the best interest of the flock in their hearts, Lord. May we be careful who we listen to and who we trust. And may we always look to you for wisdom and guidance that you would shape our hearts and our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, Lord, that we would have great wisdom to be able to discern all the things that you put in our path. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We need to abide in Christ in order to be discerning and cautious when it comes to who we listen to, who we allow to have influence over us in spiritual matters. We all need to be fruit inspectors. But we can't judge that fruit by the world's standards. Remember that. We don't look to culture to judge fruit. We don't look to human wisdom. We must be indwelt and led by the Holy Spirit. We need to keep our eyes first and foremost on Jesus, on God. We can't discern good spiritual fruit from sinful human nature fruit without the Holy Spirit working in us. After all, it's His fruit. It's His fruit we're looking for. So we need to examine ourselves first. We examine our motives. And we need to beware. We need to be on guard lest we be deceived and injured by a false prophet. 
Thank you for joining us today. Pray you have a blessed day.